Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Perfectly Perfect Podcast, and we are reminiscing today. We have got the incredible Heather Maltman, host, speaker, MC, actress, a bit of this, a bit of that. Welcome back after three and a half years. Has it really been three and a half years? Because I'd like to say I haven't aged a day. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It has, yeah. The end of 2018 when I started this and I reached out to you as one of the first people. And I always remember because you said it so rightly, you was like, as a public figure, you know, and by the way, she's very grounded, guys, but you're like, "As, as a public figure, you often get people reach out to you and some people you don't hear from, but you... You were relentless. <laughs> and that's stuck with me for like three and a half years now. I'm just like, I tell that story to everyone. I was like, yeah, this Heather, she was just like, you're just relentless. You just don't give up. <laughs> yeah, it's good though. Like you gotta be, man. Like one of the best pieces of advice I always give to anyone when they come to me and they're like, how do I get started in entertainment? Like what's the biggest thing I need to be mindful of? And I was like, you gotta be fucking relentless, dude, because no one's going to give it to you. Like if you want these people in your world and you want to you want to do something in this industry like you got to be that guy that does not go the fuck away because otherwise no one's going to care. They're going to be like, "Oh yeah, I think I heard something about some um Jeffrey guy once, like he's doing some perfect campaign." Remember Jeffrey? Who's Jeffrey again? And that's the end of it. No one will ever think of you again. So, yeah, I was like, I like this guy, man. He's not giving up. Like, he's got an idea and he's following it through. And, you know, the minute we spoke and I was, I started, like, doing my thing where I start vetting, like, is he serious and and why is he doing what he's doing and what's the real message behind it? What does he get out of it? Like, you know, when someone comes to you and says, I want to do this for the greater good, there's usually a selfish reason behind it as well. And the more I got to know you, I was like, holy fuck, this guy is doing this because what he gets out of it is his own mental health gets better. I was like, that's cool. This is a person who knows that he's got damage and he can see other people's damage and he wants to help them with their damage by fixing his at the same fucking time. I was like, that's cool. I respect that. (laughs) But it's funny because even after three and a half years now, I can honestly say and I wouldn't have known at that time how you just announced it then. The journey that I've been through up to this stage now, like I said before the show, it's like I've lived the whole campaign. Like who would have known that I'd have emptied my pockets trying to keep this going to make it sustainable? People would have used me. So it was essentially, and someone said this to me, very spiritual. It was like, so you've emptied your pockets. What does that mean? I was like, well, it could be that I'm insane. The definition of insanity is going around in circles trying to make a difference. Or they said, look at it as you're actually being shown what it's like for the people who don't have anything, who you're trying to help. And then the flip side, a few weeks later, it was like stepping into the likes of your shoes where it's like, Glenn, can you introduce me to Glenn? Can you do this? Can you do this? And I'm like, oh, my God, who just wants to know Glenn for Glenn? 
And there was like, do you see what's happening now, Glenn? You've been shown what it's like for the other people that you're trying to help and you've been put in front of. And I was like, this is so fucking hard. <laughs> like, so your industry is like, you've been, how long have you been in that industry now, the entertainment industry? Long time. Um, I think I started, I mean, if you count from the time that I started acting school in Sydney as a as a young woman, I, I would say probably... Um, since I was about 21. No, I was younger. I was 19, 20 when I first started and I'm now 36. And there's this saying in our industry actually that it takes 10 years to get your big break and then it takes 15 years for that big break to settle in and you can capitalise on it. I'm now 36, so do the math. I clearly had my big break and... I did not have the right people around me to capitalize on it. And it's very much in line with what you're talking about. Like you've got to be so careful who you align yourself with in the entertainment industry, because there are a lot of unhealthy people in this world who aren't interested in taking care of themselves. They just want to have what looks like success, if that makes sense. They just want the the cars and the adoration and the fame and all that shit, and they will do whatever it takes to get it. Mm-hmm. And they would see a campaign like what you're doing and they would see the raw honesty in it and they would think, what can I get out of that? They would not think, how can I add to what Glenn's doing and maybe help somebody else who's who has that consideration and has that concern and is is maybe not doing the best. Yeah, and I've I've certainly enjoyed that. I've seen that at the time. Luckily, I had a great support network. And there's one thing that I'm just going to draw the audience to. So this lady herself, she had an amazing podcast, and she was one of the first to ask me on it. Now, she asked me a question that one day, if you can remember, (laughs) you're not that old, so you're not going senile or anything. But (laughs) she, she said to me, and she asked me the question, she says, okay, so we know the premise of it is you lost a friend and you wanted to make a difference. She was like, but there's something else behind it. What is it that keeps you driven? Because you don't don't start. And it was the first time I'd openly spoke about body dysmorphia. And then you just like opened a kind of worms and got me speaking about that. Mm. That was, and I don't know if you know, that was the first time I actually mentioned that. And that's led the whole of this campaign through that. So you made a profound effect on me from answering that, asking that question. Holy fuck, dude. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. I tell everybody that. And when, because people, when they hear my story, they want to know more. So some of the people I've got in front of in America and that, when they hear body dysmorphia because they don't know much about it, and I'm like, you know what? This IPC has essentially been my journey as well, and that is kind of thanks to um, not only Above That's Open Doors, but Heather Maltman, who actually made me speak about it, because I always say that entertainers often can do hide behind their work. Like, here I am taking your pictures and that, and musicians hide behind the lyrics. And I was like, maybe I was hiding myself because I was always pushing everyone else to the front, wasn't I? And it was you that said, yeah, but what is it with you, Glenn? So thank you. Oh, my God. No, thank you, man. Like, uh, geez, I think when you shared that story, like, firstly, like, I, I honestly had no idea that that was your first real time sharing your struggle with that. So firstly, thank you for trusting me with that. Like that's a big deal. Mm. Um, And then also trusting that I would treat that with the respect it deserves for the audience that I was presenting that to at the time. I genuinely, I had no idea, but I, I guess what I can say is like, um, uh, just so you know, like that, 
that episode that really resonated with a lot of people. Like I got a lot of, I got, I had a lot of people reach out through the multiple platforms that the podcast was on. Um, and most of them wanted to talk more about that episode because, you know, like you said, not a lot of people know about body dysmorphia and there were young women with eating disorders that were like, would I fall under this umbrella? Because, you know, I get told that my eating disorder comes from a lack of control, or I get told that my eating disorder comes from, um, a fear of getting fat, but I feel like that doesn't quite um, explain the experience I'm having. And I was like, look, I, never do I claim to be a medical professional, but I mean, if it feels like it resonates, I was like, why don't you take that to whoever you're seeing? Take that option, like go have that conversation with someone who is medically trained and see if that is something. And actually my partner, Matt, he uh, listened to your episode. And that was the first time he realized that he was suffering from a form of male body dysmorphia as well. And he didn't even know. He didn't even know he had that. And you talking about it and the things that you were doing and those routines that you had, he was like, holy fuck, I do all of that, all of it. Like, And he goes, I stress over it and it causes me severe pain. I was like, whoa. So wow. I mean, it's all you, man. Well, I can remember the shot when you were saying, and I said mine went from like two to three minutes to like two to three hours in the mirror. So for, for knowing like that, and um, yeah, Matt, I never knew that about Matt. Like I, I thought Matt had it all together. Like obviously I know Matt, um, and yeah, he's an awesome guy. So I didn't know that. So um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's manic. But anyway, this show is about you. <laughs> so your your advocacy in mental health is just so it's ingrained in you it's a part of you and that's one of the reasons I reached out because you was one of the first in Sydney that I heard entertainment who was just like and excuse my language guys but we swear like troopers like fuck it like I'm using my platform to actually make a difference and you went into schools and you help yeah. kids with mental health because it meant a lot from your, your prior experience of what you've been. Do you mind just taking our audience just a brief back, seeing as it's been that long, about why the advocacy is so ingrained in you? Yeah, of course. Um, well, for you who feel like, I guess if you feel like this is something that um, you're maybe struggling with or this could be triggering in any way. Uh, my story revolves around a lot of child abuse and a lot of um, mental health issues with my mom. So I just want to give you the heads up that what I'm about to say can be very triggering. So make sure that you have those people around you after you listen to this story, if that is something that could be quite difficult for you to hear. And also I will not be insulted in any way if you don't want to listen to what I'm about to say, because, you know, that you know, hearing someone else's trauma when you've had trauma can be too much, let alone if you've not had trauma. So all good. No, it's not personal. Um, so growing up, I grew up in a world where all I knew was child abuse. Um, my mother dated a lot of men who uh, were very abusive. She left my dad when he believed that he was part of a to kill us. And we ended up on the run for most of my life up until I was about 14, 13, 14, I think it was, was when we finally settled in one house. And by the time we actually settled in a house after living in cars and on the street and in caravans, wherever we could, basically, um, that house was in housing commission and it was in a part of Queensland where basically once you've been to jail and you need somewhere to live, 
this is the place you go otherwise known as Eagle Bee. <laughs> so if you're from Queensland and you know what I'm talking about, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, I mean, there were mornings where the guy next door to us that was living in the house next door to us, um, he was a heroin dealer and he hadn't paid the guys that he had bought the heroin from. So they blew his car up and that car was right next to my bedroom. And normally at about 6am, I'd go out in the front yard and play and that morning I just happened to sleep in and I will, I will never forget the heat that hit my window from those bombs in that car and when the door like flew off it and it was like in the air as I looked out the window and like landed on the road. I was like, okay, cool, all right, safety first, kids. Um, yeah, and like my mum's boyfriends were horrifically abusive and then I... Unfortunately, I didn't get to grow up with my dad. Um, as I said, I my mom taught us to believe that he was this horrible guy and that he wanted to kill us only to find out when I was 18 that my mom had a severe mental illness, obviously, and she was finally put into care after going missing a few times. And um, when I went looking for my dad, he turned out to be this fucking cool guy. He was so great. Like he was a, he was a pilot. He'd been a fighter pilot when he was in his 20s. He was this tall, white British dude, like, you know, had the the ho, ho, ho kind of swagger and the, the moustache and all that. And he was like six foot four. And I was just like, oh, my God, I wish I'd grown up with you because I just would have been a very different person. Um, and then uh, a few years into getting to know him, he got pancreatic cancer and he died. And then after he died, my mom's illness got worse. And then she went missing again. And then we found her again. Then she went missing again. And then I decided to do a very public show after getting drunk with my girlfriends um, where I thought, oh, it'd be hilarious to find love on national TV. <laughs> not knowing that I am not the usual type of girl to go on a show like that. And the show went from no one giving a fuck to everyone giving the fuck and being the kind of person who is an introvert naturally and, you know, is trying to deal with a very tough situation with my family. And while being on that show, my mom was actually missing. And I never spoke about that at the time. Um, but that's why I had no family to introduce this guy to. It was a very um, vulnerable and exposing feeling. So imagine feeling vulnerable and exposed at the same time. It was it was very hard and I had no real family to support me around that. And, you know, as you can imagine, growing up in a world where all you know is abuse and all you know is dysfunction and mental health. Like my mum's mental health thing is paranoid delusional schizophrenia. So she hears shit, she sees shit, and she believes shit that isn't real. And there's no real... Um, negotiating with a person like that. Like that's just it. And it could be drug-induced. It could be abuse-induced from her own fucked-up family. Um, on top of that, like finding out that we, my family's mixed-race Indigenous, which is something I've always kind of known but didn't really have a word for it. Um, and I say mixed-race Indigenous out of my choice. So if you are mob, I say mixed-race because my dad is British and my mum is a lot of different nationalities, including First Nations. So to me, that's my identity and I'm proud of that identity and I'm okay with that, just to be really clear. Uh, 
but you know with that separation again from from potential first nations family like that brings mental health issues and then being raised in a world where you know my mom had all these life lessons from black fellas but also abuse from her own life and then the abuse of her boyfriends it's like you just feel so disenfranchised and separated and you know like I didn't fit in with white kids I didn't fit in with the black kids although I did actually fit in a lot better with the black kids to be to be fair like if you listen if you if you're really hearing me you know what I mean like I resonate with First Nations I've learned a lot about the First Nation culture you know I was raised in um this is really funny actually I didn't know this. This is so off topic, by the way. So when I was a kid, my mom used to take my sister and I out to the bush and she would teach us how to track and how to get back. So she would put us in the middle of the fucking bush, just leave us there and be like, all right, girls, you know what to do. Find your way home. And she would teach us how to track and how to find our way home. Anyway, I didn't know this, but the my great, great, great grandfather, who would have been uh, either a Yagara man or he might have been a Yugan bear man. I'm, I'm not quite sure what border he would have been on there because that's that was where our our my white family's farm was. Um, he would have been a tracker. That most likely that's what his lineage would have been. And thing, little things like that, I found out from connection to country and learning from other black fellas like why white kids didn't do that. I thought I did that because my mum's crazy. Uh, You know what I mean? Like it's trying to work out like what parts were things where I'm learning about culture and learning about my country. What parts are my mum having a mental illness? What parts are abuse? What parts were horrible life choices that my mum made just purely because she didn't know any better? And it's... um it meant that like being thrust into fame like that i had no i had no foundation man i had nothing to back myself with i was like i don't know i'm just fucking trying shit until it sticks i don't know how to make good life choices i didn't have a parent to base it on like and the stuff that i did base it on i don't know what i i don't know what out of her choices were like her and stuff that come from mob. I don't know what came from my mom's fucked up background with her parents. Like another one is a good example, right? I was a little kid and I used to get told that my mom was the crazy woman who would set fires in her yard. I was telling one of my sisters on the Gold Coast about this. I was like, so one of the things that my mom used to do when I was little in this like shitty um, housing commission area, in fact, she used to do it where we'd park our car and sleep for the night. She'd set a fucking bonfire in an area that was like, it was safe. It was always safe. She knew what she was doing. You could tell she knew what she was doing. And she would burn um, tea tree, like she'd burn leaves and shit, like certain leaves. And this smoke would sort of surround where we were. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like cough smoke. It was like a, I was explaining it to my girlfriend, Billy, and she was like, mate, that's, that's to get rid of mosquitoes. That's a thing. Like that's what our that's what we do. That's how you get rid of mosquitoes. And I was like, holy fuck, man. So like anyone who was white looked at my mom like she was crazy for doing that, which cemented into me more that those ways of being were crazy. But then as I 
have gotten older and I've been learning about my history and learning about who I am, I'm slowly learning the things that are culture and I'm learning about the things that are the terrible white culture and the good white culture and everything in between. And so I guess being put in a position where I was thrust into the spotlight very quickly and not the way I was expecting and you know, everyone says, you know what you're signing up for when you do a show like that. I mean, come on. It was just a real shock. So I don't know. I just, I said to myself, I've got two options here. I either sink into it and get sad or get jaded. Or I use this opportunity to beat a drum that a lot of people are afraid to beat. And then if it, if it fizzles out, all good, but at least I did my bit. At least I used it for as long as I possibly fucking could. And that's my story. At the end of the day, you don't know the behind the scenes. You see the glossy pictures of what you guys do as a profession, but oh my God, that is not, it's like what, 5% of the reality of what you have to do? Exactly. I, I'm going to be really fucking honest about why, like when you and I talked about doing a recap, podcast and if you remember I was like dude I I don't really know if you'd want me on there anymore like I don't really have a platform in it I'm not really doing anything anymore I've got a private account now like I'm not really in that world and you were you were again you were the relentless glare and you were like you got to do this this is a thing and I'm like all right cool put on my big girl pants um so a few years ago I had throat surgery they found a cyst in my throat here and they end up taking out part of my hyoid bone and it affected my larynx and to this day I still get a really tired uh I get my larynx get sore and I get a I get a tired voice I've got it today and last week when you were messaging me asking me about coming on on your podcast I was like fuck I don't know man I know you go you go through that thing where you're like no one cares what you've got to say anymore oh but everyone's going to think that you're fucking like I'm so good I should go on this podcast and people should hear from me (laughs) and then you're like you fucking spiral into a shame of oh just don't even get out of bed tomorrow don't bother um we've all done it you've done it who are you kidding anyway I I was playing with my neck thinking about it and I felt right here and I was like fuck, I've got a lump in my neck. And I don't know if you remember these from Joe Dispenza's sessions. One of the things that he talks about, Louise O'Hay talks about is, um, you know, the power of thought and we condition our bodies based on how we think. And here I've been stifling the way I speak for about, what is it? I think you said it yourself, about four years. And I'm now going through the processes of finding out if this lump is serious or not. I just went for my scans this morning and I get my results back in a few days. And whether they're serious, I still have to get something removed. I still have to go through another surgery. So I I took it as a sign, man. I I literally got your message and I was sitting there playing with my neck and I was like, oh, what's that? I was like, that's not my collarbone. What the fuck is that? And you can actually like see it sitting right here. There's like a bubble there. And yeah, that's that's what prompted me to suddenly be really honest about this is if it does turn out to be serious and I shut the fuck up for that long, what the hell was the point? What was the point? Who did I help? Who did I really do anything for? How did I really make a difference? If it turns out not to be much, okay, 
what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do now? Because, you know, the whole thing that Joe Dispenza and Louise O'Hay talk about is like sometimes you're given little scares to remind you of what you're meant to be doing. This will fucking bake your noodle for the last four <laughs> days. Thank <laughs> you, For the last four days, I've pretty much had uh, my usual larynx pain. Like it's been really bad the last four days, ever since I felt the lump. And as we know, like once you know it's there, you you, you become more attuned to it and you're like, oh, I've got all this pain. And it's like, yeah, because you know about it now. Um, But even Matt noticed that like in the last few months, like my voice is every now and again, I lose my voice. And we just thought it was because I had COVID and had the flu. Anyway. Obviously, today, doing my scans really early this morning, she ran the, um, I don't know, whatever the fuck it's called. If if you know what it's called, you can always tap in. But the, you know, the device they run over your neck with the jelly and it's cold and it's shit. It was excruciating because she was pressing in on the lump. And then on my hyoid bone here under my little goatee, I've actually got like a scar there and there's all this scar tissue around the hyoid bone. And when you when you press on it, it actually hurts because it's, it's it's a wound um anyway so she's running all over and all day today you know I'm trying to work I work in book publishing and I'm still making films and I'm trying to explain to my new um production assistant her job and things that she's got to do and bless her fucking cotton sock she's a good kid I'm telling her what's going on and she's like you sound really tired and I was like no I just I've got an issue with my throat and she's like what what is it and I was like I'll tell you when I know and she goes okay and I got home and Matt looked at me and he's like, are you all right? And I was like, I can't speak. I've barely got a voice left and I need enough just to be able to do the podcast with Glenn tonight. And we started talking. It was really hurting. And I was about to say to you, we might have to cut it short. Since we've been speaking, the fact that the pain is subsiding as we speak, to me, that's a that's a big sign that this has happened because I I was down a path that I wasn't supposed to go down. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking miracle healer. <laughs> Here, let me touch the screen. Let me touch the screen. <laughs> you are here. <laughs> but it's, um, hey, if, if if that's the confirmation you need, you've just let it all out. And long time coming, long time coming by the sounds. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the, obviously the pain isn't like miracleized and completely gone, but it definitely feels less stressful and less um, tight. Um, but I guess it's one of those things where if you agree with someone that you care about and that you're friends with and that you respect, that you're going to be real and honest and open and you're going to show up, you have to show up. Mate, I can't, like, I just can't thank you enough for coming into my space. Like, I mean, we're always in each other's space, obviously, online and and staying in touch, but you just, you came into my space at a time when I was most afraid Mm -hmm. and your relentlessness was my strength to be real and be honest from my perspective. And you know what? Everyone's got their perspective and that's cool. Like, at the end of the day, you gave me space for my perspective. And for that, you know, that's a big gift. That's a really, really big gift. And I'm sure, you know, even for you, you might be, you might be there just questioning, like, how has this impacted me? And and what can I take away from this? And maybe it's nothing. But I think if anything, the biggest thing you can take away from the Imperfectly Perfect campaign is it started 
from an imperfect place and the person doing it doesn't give a fuck about it being perfect. And that there means that if you're listening, you're on the right track. You're already, you're already thinking in a way that brings you to a much more honest and real place with yourself and the people around you. And like they always say, I think this is the best advice I ever heard when I was struggling with really bad mental health stuff. The moments when you feel the worst, go and help someone else. Part of the reason why you feel so garbage and so unnecessary is because you have forgotten that you have an impact on the world. So go make a fucking impact, man. Go find a way to make an impact. You gotta, you gotta go and think about someone else. You gotta go and think about how you can be there for someone else and turn it around because you and I have both been there. We've both talked about those moments when we've been really dark mm-hmm. and we've been like, I can't do this anymore. You, you, we used to have phone calls about it where you were like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if there's any point. You know, you were just starting to have a few people, like when you were going to do the board. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that went to shit. And you were like, Heather, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, what am I doing? Like, why would people care? And why would they listen? And, you know, I had all these opportunities in the States. I'm not even sure if I can do them anymore. Like I'm bleeding money. I'm like, I'm literally working in construction while doing photography. And I, I can't let go of this. I know this is my mission. And I was like, go help someone, man. Yeah. You know, you, you just, you got to go help someone. It's, it's the only way out. I, I strongly, I strongly believe that. It is. It's those messages that you get, isn't it? Like one person can literally just reach out to you and say, you you just saved my life. You just, something like that. It's all those moments. And now that needs to be a soundbite. What you just said there, that is a great <laughs> soundbite, that, that whole thing. But um, I was going to say now though, because you said you're pretty much, you're on private on everything. Where can people like find more information about you if you're on private? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not in a clear headspace to be in that world. Like I'm being very protective of my mental health right now. And, um, you know, if you do want to get in touch, always do. People who have followed me for years know that once I get to know you and I allow you onto my page and, you know, we have a bit of conversation on photos because I'm not interested in just getting a fuck ton of followers and then never speaking to you, right? Like we will chat. When I get to know you well enough, you can slide into my DMs and we can have a good conversation. Um, so, if, you know, that's how I that's how I like to do it because I want I'm there for the real connection. I don't have time on social media for followers. I couldn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the best way is just like through Insta um, or I think my Facebook page. But I've gotten pretty relaxed with that, to be honest. I just well, no, if you want to find out more information, then come to our page. And yeah. just, just say I want to because I, I'm in touch with Heather all the time so I can send it through and those people that obviously have heard her speak and want to hear her speak again and want her on the shows and stuff like that, then, hey, we're going to get this throat opening up. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, once the throat's yeah. going and it's, it's healing. Oh, God. But, Mate, when, I, when my throat's healed, I'm just going to run the country. We'll be sweet. Don't worry. <laughs> I got this. I got this. <laughs> exactly. But... And when Heather said this started imperfect, this is the thing. It was essentially, so I created the Imperfectly Perfect TV. And everyone's like, oh, who are you with? And I'm like, you know what? If you haven't got a network, make your own. That's what I did with the podcast. That's what I did. So essentially, I get like people off The Greatest Showman in America on it. I get all these people on it. And I just I stream it through the social so people can get to see it 
and hear the stories. And I'm like, hey, so guys, don't try and be perfect because then if you've got a mission placed on your heart, it will never get anywhere. Just do it. Just do it. I just want to thank you, as always, for, for being a huge advocate, even all these years later. And it's never stopped. And like I say, if it wasn't for you, I would probably open my story about what I went through. So thank you for that. And guys, just um, keep remember, have the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that saves lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.